0: Insights to live by the podcast discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. How does one empower oneself to reach their full potential? And how do multiple people engage one another? as a team, especially in the challenging world of remote work. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Matt Zimman, here for Insights to Live By. And I'm, I'm just going to go with I am exhilarated to have you here. I'm so grateful to share this time with you and uh, someone also whom I know you'll be glad that you did she has been leading teams for more than 25 years as an executive at both big tech companies and scaling startups, including Facebook, Google, Yahoo, and Change.org. You've probably heard of at least one of those. Jennifer Dulski, you are the CEO of Rising Team. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here.
0: I'll tell you, you know, I, I had to decide through all the things that I've learned about you. How don't... How do I put this in like a small package? Because half the show probably could have been everything else. Uh, so wonderful to meet you. And we are definitely going to be going into and talking about Rising Team and the, the current world of work and everything that you're doing to uh, help with that. Uh, but there's so much more. And I, I just want to start by by mentioning you're in Palo Alto, California. Right. That's right. Okay. And you have a personal life. You have, you have a family, right? Daughters? I do have a
1: family. It's a big, it's a big week in my family. Actually it's been a big year because we've had a lot of milestone events. And this week happens to be both my daughter's college graduation and my 25th wedding anniversary. So it's a big oh, week.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Should I ask what you did to celebrate or?
1: It's funny. So we're, it's actually a pretty <laughs> funny story because so We're going on a trip next week to celebrate the anniversary, but yesterday we just gave each other cards and we opened our cards and we bought each other the exact same anniversary card, which is just crazy because I bought this card like six months ago while I was on a trip in some card store in some other location. So the idea that we had the same card was just, I guess it's proof that we've been married 25 years.
0: It is reaffirming, to say the very least. And now your daughter just graduated. Where'd she graduate from and with what?
1: She is graduating from Swarthmore this coming weekend. She is a major in peace and conflict studies and a minor in English. Oh,
0: Swarthmore's near me. I'm in Philadelphia
1: Exactly. Oh, I and while I'll be there. I'm leaving on Friday. Really? I'll be in your neighborhood. I'm tomorrow.
0: sure you'll have no free time whatsoever. But if that were the <laughs> case, <true>. we <laughs> we'd enjoy. Now, one thing I learned about you of all the things and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'd love to mention so that people get to know you a bit. But if we go back to your daughter's age, if that's fair to say, you went to Cornell. And as an undergrad, you graduated in psychology, Phi Beta Kappa. I think people have heard of that prestigious academic honor society. But the thing that really popped out at me is that you were the coxswain on the women's crew team, national champions in that year. So I'm trying to imagine you like sitting like, you know, this in the back where of a boat. All
1: my leadership skills and philosophy comes from, actually, is being a coxswain on the rowing team. It is if you think about it and I coxed men's crew in high school and women's crew in college. And if you think about this role, right? You're sitting in the boat, you're coaching them, you're guiding them, strategizing the race, and you have to get people to work harder than they really even think they can. And you have to do it while you're not rowing. (laughs) You know, it's like, so the question is, how do you earn their respect? How do you learn how to motivate them as individuals and as a team? And there are so many leadership lessons in there. One of my favorites I call take one for the team, because one thing that happens in crew, which people may or may not know, is if you win, they get to throw the coxswain in the water. So I have been thrown in almost every disgusting lake and river on the East Coast and West Coast.
0: Got it. Um, Well, you had the dad veil regatta here. You probably hit the Schuylkill at one point.
1: Oh, I have. I have. In fact, I will. Yes. Yes. I've, (laughs) I've been on the Schuylkill many times.
0: Um, I, I've been to that event. It's huge. Huge here in Philadelphia. Um, it's just fun. I mean, it's, look, again, i getting to know you. Uh, Jen, may I call you Jen? Is that okay? Yes. Right. So you uh, were, were one of the earlier employees at Yahoo. Uh, you went on to co-found a company called DealMap, which was acquired by Google. You then led Change.org. I think people have heard of that. Um, and grew it from 18 million to 180 million. I just looked it up. They're almost at a half billion, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? They're so just I about actually, to cross. That's right. I, I was president and COO there for five years, and then I stayed on the board for an additional five years. So I actually have been involved with the organization a long time, and they are doing tremendous work around the world. It's amazing.
0: And, uh, you know, I know that if people don't know them, they're very much in and around petitioning and, and leveraging petitions to, uh, for change. And uh, then, of course, after that, you are at Facebook. Somewhere in between, you wrote um, a Wall Street Journal bestseller (laughs) um, called Purposeful. Are you a manager or a movement starter? And let me just say, uh, on the side, you teach management at Stanford Graduate School. You are a speaker at the executive education program at Singularity University University. You write about leadership for LinkedIn influencers, Fortune, Forbes, Huff, Huffington Post, and you serve on several boards, including, is it Double W for Weight Watchers? WW? WW. WW. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Arcadia Tech Company. So how many of you are
1: there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like to keep busy. I do. I will say that. It's incredible. I find I'm more productive when I have a lot to do. So. You do
0: know how to make someone feel like a slacker. I'm just going to put oh, it out that's there for not you.
1: Not my goal at all.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing, great, amazing accomplishments, and you can see the evolution. And and it, I'm just curious, and mainly, you know, our focus here today is on Rising Team. And you've worked at all these huge companies, and now you uh, just went back to the to, to the beginning, raised yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rising Team is a SaaS company, software is a service, and you're providing a platform for companies to uh, help them build. Uh, meaningful uh, and wonderful teams. I'll let you uh, describe that. But now you're at a company of, uh, you're, uh, I met Charlene, um, you're a company of 12, she said. That must yeah, be a huge about 12. Difference. If you
1: count all the people who work part-time, it's probably more like 20, but still a quite a small team. And back to very scrappy early startup days, which I think are are quite fun. But it's it's different for sure than running, you know, a team of many, many hundreds or thousands of people as I've done before.
0: Well, do you see it scaling like that? I'm I'm really curious before we get all the way into about rising team and the and the important trends that it addresses, just the entrepreneurial journey. What made you decide to to do it and yeah yeah
1: i mean so this is my third time you know i was actually a founder right out of school when i left college i i founded a nonprofit. so from the very my very earliest days i've liked to create things um but this one to me feels like the company i've been meant to build my entire life and i think many founders will say that you know it's it's both a passion area that i've had my whole life and in many ways it's the product I wish I had had as a leader of teams over all those years. And so that's why I'm doing it. And in terms of whether it will scale, I absolutely believe it. And you can see it even just now in the customers that we have and the wide range of variety, like this product is actually working to help you know, teams at every everywhere from banks like the Bank of Hawaii to well, it's funny, this is also a bank, the San Diego Food Bank, but a very different kind, you know, large corporate companies all the way to nonprofits and people all around the world. And it's a pretty consistent need and especially prominent as you know during you know, since the pandemic and the work environment we're in now.
0: Right. You just start in 2020 is when you you know, we
1: started. I started sort of noodling with the idea and bootstrapping it in 2020 and We raised our seed round in 2021 and we launched our product in July of 21. So it's been just under a year since the product's been out. And yeah, the whole world of work upended in that time. You know, th- this product was critical anyway. You know, how do you help teams feel more connected, learn and grow together and be more effective at work? But it went from being important to being you know, critical because we're now in a place where half of all people are thinking about leaving their jobs in the next three to six months. So companies are desperate to do what they can to keep people and help them feel valued. And now two thirds of all knowledge workers are remote or hybrid. So organizations are really having to figure out what does that mean? How do I help people still feel connected to the organization, valued by the organization? And that's those are some of the things that Rising Team helps with.
0: Yeah, it, it really interesting, though. One, know, to hear you say that it's the kind of uh, company and service that I wish I had in all the different roles that you've had through the years. But I, I'm also hearing you say that it really is born out of the pandemic, that, it, that the need, right? It's like one of those companies well, so that think, kind of built out of the times. Yeah. yeah?
1: I, it's absolutely both. Because if you think about it, the reason I say I wish I had had it is because when you think about traditional leadership development, you know I was very fortunate in my career to have executive coaches and be sent to fancy trainings and so forth, but you have sort of two options in leadership development. You either have flat content, like I can watch a video or I can read a book, or you have interactive content like coaching and training sessions but they are tend to be very expensive and also hard to scale you know because inside companies you know you only have so many people who can run those facilitated sessions and so forth and so and you have a bunch of leaders like me who were getting this fancy training and then being sent back to our teams without anything to bring it to life so I, i used to say it was like i was being taught how to fish and then sent back to the lake with just the book like what i needed was a fishing pole and some bait. And I didn't have that. So that's essentially what we've built is software that helps managers run these interactive sessions with their teams. So take what you've learned, practice it, which means you learn it better and get something interactive, but without the cost of a professional facilitator. Right. And the the part that's pandemic specific is how do you make it work in a remote team? Right. Like we, we used to do that all sitting together in a conference room and you can still use our software that way. But the vast majority of teams that use it are not sitting together in the same room. And that was the part we had to really figure out how to do because of the pandemic.
0: Interesting. Yeah. The content adapted for it. Uh, you've got uh, uh, fun exercises with it. We're going to go through your three C's uh, that are part of your your framework. Uh, I won't give it away, but coaching, clarify, and connect. And yeah, uh, <laughs> but what is what is an example of uh, as you know on topic that you've you've adapted it for remote? Like you're doing fun team building activities are part of that naturally. Yeah. Um, how are you creating that kind of fun and and you know interaction and connection uh, remotely? Yeah.
1: yeah so <laughs> it's interesting you know, that's really what the software can do. So basically things like, you know, we put in a song that you can play to get everybody pumped up when you start the session. And, you know, we can, because everyone's on a device, we can gather data in real time and aggregate it and overlay it so you can see it. So if you're sitting in a room and everybody's writing on a piece of paper, you might get the same information. But here, for instance, when we talk about things like create your user manual or you know, talk about your working styles. We can say, okay, let's look at the times of day that everybody prefers to work. And we're going to overlay that data right on top of each other and project it on the screen so we can all see it immediately after we took the exercise. So that's an example of how you use software to to create that. And then the way you create deeper connections is you build up to asking harder, deeper questions, right? And so we, this is the key thing of practicing it. Like you can send a manager to a training and teach them that to build psychological safety in their teams, they need to be open and vulnerable. But saying that into a room and getting them to actually do it are two really different things. So what happens in a rising team session is, you know, the second part of that exercise is now we're gonna be open and vulnerable. And guess what, the manager goes first. And we tell them in the software they have to go first and they know from the prep that they have to go first. So they come with a story that is vulnerable. We we ask, the first question we ask them is share a story about something you've struggled with at work. And when your manager is the first one to say, this has been really hard for me at work then it becomes much easier for everyone else to open up. And because this can be done virtually it just ends up being way better than, you know say, traditional virtual team building. Like, are you going to get online and learn how to cook pizza with your team? Like, sure, that will be fun. But I'm not going to walk out of that knowing you at a deeper level or feeling more understood by you, which is where connection really comes from.
0: What do you think is uh, lost and, and maybe in some ways also gained because it's remote? Naturally, there's no physical space. There's a certain lack of intimacy and not being together. But I would imagine... Being apart also, does it make it safer for people to, right? Because they're in their own zone. What, what do you That's think about
1: right. that? Right, And you, you do, you have your own environment. We, we build in breaks that people can go take care of things in their house. So if you have, you know, and even just understanding each other's personal environment builds that level of connection that you don't have when all you do is come to work every day. like the fact fact that i told you at the beginning of this call that my dog was throwing up right before we got on the call is a way of building connection in itself and that's actually added from being virtual in our own environments together
0: absolutely and i'm very sorry i hope your dog feels better for sure okay (laughs) for sure yeah um but you're right i mean uh it, it was an I mean, um, again, with, you know, with your dog feeling better, but it was a nice way to enter the conversation and, you know, pets and, you know, we all love. And right. I think that we're, we're all starting to get used to that, too, right? It kind of was weird at first yeah. uh, in the new world of uh, Zooming and whatnot uh, with people like, oh, you know, here's my cat. And, right, it's just um, it's a constant bring your pet to work day, uh, perpetual. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to hit on that I know that you mentioned, but uh, wanted to give some focus, too is that, and, and I know this through my own work, actually, in, in and around Gallup, speaking to the importance of managers and in and around retention especially, and that they really are the glue of an organization in and around culture. They provide that connective tissue, if you will, to, in order to you know, connect the strategy and the culture of the company to knowing what's really going on for people and being able to connect people back to the company. So when you describe uh, how essential it is for the managers to go first, um, I, I I saw, uh, and I could share this with you in, another time, but I saw Gallup came out and said, this is about the most important data we've come across uh, in the role of managers here. So you, you know, you're definitely on the bullseye here. Um, What more do you want to to go at? I mean,
1: it's so true. So if you look at the data that's coming out right now about what's happening in the workplace, all the Gallup data you talk about is so right on point. There's also a study that came out from McKinsey last fall where they looked across organizations and they said, why are people leaving their jobs? And what they found is that there's a section of things that employees really care about that most employers are overlooking. And those are things like feeling valued by your organization and by your manager, feeling a sense of trust and care with your teammates, feeling a sense of belonging at work. And those things can't be done top-down, especially in large organizations. You can't just be a CEO and say, today, I'm going to make everyone feel like they belong. It has to be done through individual managers. And because that's the day-to-day of who people spend their time with and who they get their recognition from and their sense of belonging. And so most managers though, when you ask them, more than 90% of them say they don't feel equipped to do that. And so that's part of the reason why we're trying to provide them tools to not only teach them how to do it, but to help them practice through running these sessions with their teams. And what we've seen is that across organizations, if you do these sessions consistently, even after just three months, we see you know, almost all core engagement questions go up. We see a 7% lift in intent to stay at the company. We see employee NPS go up. All people need is a little bit of attention and investment in them as a person and their potential. And you know, we say, it's, some people will say, I don't have enough time. We're so busy. There's so much else going on at work. And what I say is, we have seen the numbers move from one session every six weeks. That's two hours every six weeks. That is less than 1% of your time. Right. So if people don't feel like they have 1% of their time to invest in activities like this, that is why their team doesn't feel valued. Right. If all you do is, what are you doing? Are you hitting your goals every day for 90, you know, 100% of your time, people will leave your team. So...
0: Right, and it's a shame because, I'm sorry, please.
1: I just said we want to help them avoid that, and it's not that hard to do.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of companies, unfortunately, are more reactive than proactive, and I'm not really sure, and I wonder what your thoughts are on shifting that, especially in and around um, learning and growth. Uh, You know, starting with the managers when they say they don't feel equipped to do it, uh, and it's like, okay, great, they know that this is their role to try and, you know, put a human, you know, to be human, essentially, and and find, I mean, obviously more than that, but in ways that they don't feel equipped. And yet, I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of any shift or what it will take to make a shift around companies making more of an investment and a priority, including the time uh, to to actually address this. What do you think is going to move that and, and what, what's happening?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the companies that are first movers here are going to have all the advantage i mean that is true of any company that's doing things that are employee first right now so people who are saying you must come back to the office versus people are saying we're going to have a flexible work environment and schedule the folks who are more flexible will win the best talent and the same you know i used to say this in the days when i worked at change.org the issue we focused on most was purpose. You know, companies who have a clear, meaningful purpose and that put that forward and that care about their customers will win the best talent. Well, today it's flexibility and investment in your talent and in their sense of feeling valued and their own growth and their own belonging. So, companies that are investing in learning, investing in DEI initiatives, investing in flexible workplaces, they're the ones that will win.
0: Are you seeing any particular trend um, out of selfish curiosity? <laughs> what industries or, or particular size companies, like who's getting the, the memo and actually acting on this?
1: You know, I will say almost everybody seems to be getting the memo. Um, what what I see though, is that it really comes from the top. So, basically certain leaders, regardless of industry, just feel more strongly about this and are willing to be more proactive, more creative, more innovative about how to do it. And it matters less the industry and more the leadership.
0: Right, that's fair. I mean, one of the things I really like about the Rising Team platform is you know at least from um, what I, th- I think i know is that there are any number of companies that are subscribing to these different training and development services uh you know netflix of uh you know this or that and you know draw down a video and it's almost like checking a box and it's like well you know we made this available to our people And uh, well, if they don't use it, it's kind of on them, right? right? As opposed to the very purpose, the essence of what it is that you're doing requires engagement. It's set up for that. And so from a SaaS, I mean, not to tell you how much I love your company, I'm sure that You would agree with with that, but you know where I'm going, right? Isn't that a a fair trend? It's like, are they, they're checking boxes or they're
1: right. They're actually using it. And the other thing is that we try to really adapt to what our customers need. And I think this comes from building a company in this environment. So as an example, even the version of rising team we have now, which are these learning kits that you can do regularly with this, you know, interactive sessions with your team, we heard, Originally, we were doing something that was much more frequent and people said, I don't have time. So we said, great, let's do once every six weeks. That seems to be enough. Now we're hearing that in addition to learning new skills, so we, you know, most of our kids are around a skill like psychological safety or clarifying expectations or things like that. Hmm. They also were desperate for things that were just connection based. So they want a replacement for Zoom happy hour and Zoom pizza making and so forth. And so we're now doing a set of kits that are just an hour each, don't teach you a new leadership skill, but just help you build that deeper connection, ask you about how you got to be the person you are, or what are the, what's the music that's meaningful to you or things like that, because people were desperate for more of that. And so, you know, some of why I think people engage with our product is we're also just giving them what they're asking for. <laughs>
0: Right, well, smart, and you're right. I mean, everyone just wants to be human and feel like they connect,
1: exactly. and
0: you know, and we're not, uh, you know, one person at work and someone else at home. I mean, our lives are now, uh, you know, it's just a different paradigm, and it, I think a long time coming. Right, we all get to be ourselves, and now we're all trying to figure out well, what's the right way and meaningful way to connect, and you know, is there a line? Um, we're all still trying to find our way, but you're definitely guiding everyone in, in the right direction. Um, we could definitely go deep on any number of things. Um, I want to make sure that we're, 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 covering more or at least enough of what you want to talk about with rising team. Do you want to talk about coach clarify connect? Is there anything more in particular you want to?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, one thing I'll, I'll say just to, to the last point you made about everybody's human and we all are, have this desire for connection. You know, one other thing we hear from people is, is this going to be too touchy feely? Like, you know, I have a team of highly technical people or all finance people and are they really going to want to connect? And I will say one thing that's been fascinating to me, you know, we test every kit before we launch it with real customers. And so we, for the test teams, they get free access to the product and in return for letting us watch them do the kits. And I have seen you know, highly technical, highly introverted, and in some cases, highly skeptical people do these sessions. And it's just so surprising to me that what you say is exactly right. Like at the end of the day, even teams that are so introverted, they do the sessions with their camera off and they sometimes like read silently to themselves instead of reading out loud. At the end they say, oh, I can't wait to do that again because we never have conversations like this. Like even the most skeptical people inside you are right we are all human and we all want that connection even if we think at the beginning we don't um so yeah i think that's enough on that topic we don't have to
0: well i mean you let's put it this way you at least finally get to use your psychology degree
1: it's true that's why i say i feel like this is the thing i've been meant to build it puts together puts back together i was also a high school teacher early in my career so it puts Together, all the things. I can that, see that,
0: uh, um, and and of course you're you're doing your teaching now as well. I, I wish we could go in Singularity University. All these things that you're doing. Um, I do want to mention Purposeful. I know it's been a few years since it's published. Certainly in alignment with what you uh, were doing at Change.org, um, in in particular. Although uh, I, I did read somewhere that you know, your goal was just to help people reach their full potential, and and here we're talking about taking. Uh, you know, anyone uh, can spark change uh, and get into action no matter how small they are or wherever it is that they start. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested in the subtitle because you say, are you a manager or a movement starter? So yeah. what's the bullseye it's there? It's
1: ironic, the subtitle, and that's probably a conversation for another day oh, okay. in terms of the discussions of my publisher on that front. But what I will say is that the concept, as you point out, is that All of us have the power to be a movement starter and that, you know, I, what I don't want to do is ding managers, especially because I spend all my time right now working on helping (laughs) managers be great, but I believe that everybody has the potential to both, you know, be a good manager of people and also create massive impact in the world. And that was, for me, the main reason I wrote Purposeful is because what I saw, which was so surprising to me, is that the campaign starters at change.org, these are regular everyday people, you know, kids and grandparents and people from small towns and incarcerated people, like any walk of life, um, they were doing almost identical things to the people I saw starting companies successfully in Silicon Valley. These big campaigns and these big companies that grow essentially have the same factors that go into them. And I call those also the three Cs. It's a slightly different set than we use for rising team. But for me, it's courage, community, and commitment. So essentially, to start a successful movement, the first thing you need is courage. And I call it little c courage. It's not like you have to, you know, you don't have to be Gloria Steinem rolling out of bed, but you have to be willing to take a risk to speak up for something you care about, even if no one else may follow you. So I sometimes describe it like being the one to start a standing ovation at a show that was like just okay. You know you're not positive anyone else will stand up with you but you are okay if you stand and no one else does that's it's scary but it's not the end of the world
0: right it takes and guts so, and
1: yeah most of these things start with an email to friends or they start with a petition or they start with a you know a fundraiser they're pretty small actions And then the second part is community, you know, you can't do this by yourself. I couldn't do rising team by myself, I had to hire other people to work with me. And, you know, when you start a movement, you got to take your volunteers and welcome them in and give them roles. And then the third seat is commitment, which is basically like none of these things succeed unless you just keep going, like all of us will hit obstacles. Um, My favorite saying on this is, left foot, right foot, breathe, which is a quote from Pat Summitt, the famous women's basketball coach. Yeah, we just, just keep going. Like even when it gets to be a very cloudy day, just left foot, right foot, breathe, and things will eventually you'll get past the hard spots. So those are the main learnings from Purposeful.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I love the example of standing, doing the standing ovation, if even if you're by yourself, you would think people would get behind you on that. But, you know, if you're worried about how people judge you, and you're the only one. Doing that, it's like, oh yeah, they they stood up and applauded. You know, like what's wrong with them?
1: Totally. <laughs> it's like, great, you, right, you can't go wrong. Is, I've asked this in so many audiences. I'll say, how many of you have ever been the first star standing ovation? And you get like a couple hands, not a ton of people. And then I say, how many of you have ever been at a show where one person stood up and no one else did? And almost nobody raises their hand to that because it right. almost right. never happens. If one bold person stands up. Almost all the time, someone will join
0: us. Yeah, I'm going to have to try it, quite honestly, Jane, Try it. <laughs> I, try, I started trying it
1: after I wrote the book. I basically started trying it everywhere I went. And um, yeah, I think my hit rate was at least 90%.
0: Good. I like it. I'll stand up. If I'm there with you, I'd yeah, stand up exactly. for you. exactly. Okay. That I
1: would be nice. I
0: appreciate you. All right. Now, we are going to get to Insights to Live By. Uh, but before we do, we have a segment on the show where we just want to learn a little bit more about you, uh, as you can see we have insights about Gendulski we have the wheel of insights. We're going to spin just a couple times let's see where it lands and um, learn a thing or two. Let's see here. Wow this is interesting uh, regarding you how have your goals changed over life I don't know if there's a short answer <laughs> to yeah, this one it's but not
1: really a short answer. Um, you can pa- oh by the way
0: you can pass. If you want to go to a different question, you are the guest. I can oh, spin I'm, again. I'm
1: not going to pass. That's. I think I'm, that's. You're, just in, you're windy,
0: entitled. So. You're not a passer. Um, okay.
1: No, I think my goals. I've had a really common string through my life, which is that my goals have always been, as you said, about how do I help other people and you know reach their potential, and that's why I why I was a coxswain, why I was a high school teacher, why I got into to the tech careers that I have. Right. I think over time, um, I've just thought a lot about, you know, I, I mean, I'm getting older. I'm not, I don't consider myself old, but I, I think about, um, and this might come up in my insights too, but what they call deathbed metrics, you know, what will I care about at the end? Right. And what people really care about is, did I spend enough time with the people that matter to me? And did I do anything that matters in the world? So those two things are probably where I put most of my focus right now.
0: Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do hear that quite a bit. Um, oh, by the way, I meant to mention uh, the, the, the note that you said uh, about Purposeful and your publisher, you would not be the first author to have an issue with what your publisher did with your, with your subtitle. <laughs> um, sure. I can relate. All right. On to your next insight about Jindalski. Ah, um, also, Jen, uh, nobody in any given season of Insights to Live By gets the same real question. You're the only one who answers these questions. Jen, what is a hidden talent of yours?
1: Hmm.
0: Knowing now you don't pass. I sh- know,
1: now I can't pass. Now you can't pass. Yeah. Um. Sure. I will say that when I was younger, I used to paint a lot okay. and I started painting again. I took a, a watercolor class with my daughters this summer, which was really fun. And yeah. it was nice to bring out that sort of hidden talent from my past.
0: That's awesome. That was easy. That was you Catch on to that. Um, well, I could have given you the chicken or the egg question. So I'm, I'm almost sorry. I didn't have that was on the that wheel for question? you. It was a question. <laughs> I had one guest last year answer it. You know what? I actually did a really good job. I was like, I couldn't answer that question. I was, I pulled it. It was on the wheel for you. I took it off. I was like, I don't want, I don't want to, you thank know, you. trip I you up. You yeah. Thanks for that. All right. Now we are here at our featured segment. You have three insights to live by. You can share them in any order. They do not have to relate to anything we've spoken about yet, Uh, Jen Dalski, what is your first insight to live by?
1: First insight to live by is, will it make the boat go faster? And this comes from a story, actually, the, the initial story was when I first graduated college and I started this nonprofit and I used to stay at work late every night. In fact, I had a little list, a piece of paper in my pocket that was a list of things I needed at the drugstore. This is dating myself because it was before online shopping. I was there. I needed to go to the physical drugstore, and it closed at 9. And I couldn't get there because I was always at work past 9. And I had a friend and mentor come visit me, and I was telling her this, and she said, what are you doing? Like, you can't work till 9 every night. And I said, but my staff, they wanna stay. And if they're here, I need to be here. And she said, no, you need to go home so that they'll go home. And right. I thought, gosh, I, you know that's interesting. And she said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the mission of your organization and we're gonna put it at the top of a piece of paper. And we're gonna put your entire to-do list on that paper. And we're gonna say yes or no to each item. Does it help you achieve your mission or does it not? And we did that with my whole to-do list. And we narrowed off a bunch of things that I didn't really need to do to make that program succeed. And I could start telling everyone to go home at six or seven. Not, you know, we probably didn't go home at four, but, um, and that was a big moment in my life of thinking about how do you really prioritize what matters and what's important. And the reason I say, will it make the boat go faster is because there's another crew story I love about a guy named Ben Hunt Davis, who was on a... Rowing team in the UK where they hadn't won an Olympic medal in decades. And he and his team were dead set on winning a gold medal. And they had this mantra they used will it make the boat go faster? And everything they did from what they ate for breakfast to how much they practiced during the day to what time they went to bed will it make the boat go faster? And so that's what we do at Rising Team and what I've done at most of my companies is try to create really clear vision and goals for the team. And then we can take our own to-do lists and say, will it make the boat go faster? Yes or no. And that's been a helpful life lesson. It's a great
0: metaphor. I like that. I mean, mean, just the precision of, uh, you know, of rowing and yeah, Yeah. I I caught it right away. I'm sure you did. Oh, thank you. Uh, You know, usually I would, uh, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about each insight to live by, but, Uh, That was perfect. I don't think I have anything to add, making my job difficult as the host. So we're going to go right on to your second insight to live by, Jen. What is that?
1: Number two is we are all capable of more than we think we are. And this one comes from a lesson I learned even younger. I think I was in high school I went to some summer camp that my parents sent me to to drive like grit. It was a summer camp, essentially for delinquent kids. I'm not sure why I went because I wasn't that bad a kid, but um, they used to do lots of things to like encourage grit in us, like make us build house of cards that they would constantly knock over and things like that. But one of the things that we did was we had to do a zip line off the edge of a cliff. And I really did not want to do it. I was deathly afraid and everyone else had already gone. You know, I went up to the top of this cliff, the entire group I was with all went down and I was at the top by myself with the counselor, just saying, I don't wanna do it. And I could turn, I knew I could turn around and walk back down the, you know, the way I had come up. And then I had this kind of internal dialogue with myself that I said, you know, I don't wanna be the kind of person who turns around. Like, I just, I I don't want that more than I am afraid of jumping. Right. And so I said to myself in that moment, what I now have an acronym for, I call it ICTICTA, stands for if I can do this, I can do anything. And I just said to myself, I'm going to do it. And if I can do this, then whatever else seems scary next, I'll know I can do it. Right. And I jumped yeah. off the cliff. This was a literal jumping off a cliff. And... Oh God, I hated every minute. I still did not (laughs) like it. It was awful, but I did it. And I knew when I got to the bottom that I had done it. And that gave me this belief that I can do the things that scare me. And so I started with this process of, doing things that scared me on purpose so that other things would seem less scary. Because so many things in our life, like every, you know, people talk all the time about imposter syndrome. Like the day I walked into my role, my first time role as a public company board member, where I was, you know, probably the only woman in the room. And I think 20 years younger than everyone in the room. And I had to say to myself, I can do this. And I brought back like, what else have I done in my life that I was scared right. to do, and that I had a first day on? And so, ichticta, and we're capable of more than we think we are.
0: Yeah, you know, you covered so much in in that. I mean, first of all, literally taking uncomfortable action, uh, and you know, with the with the cliff, uh, and also reasoning with yourself that the regret is worse than the act. Yes. And, you know, I use that all the time in terms of motivating, like, I'm going to regret this. Ugh, it's worse. And just put it on the scale. And it's like, I don't like regret. I'm just going to do it anyway. But it would be interesting, you know, if, if you think, well, what are three, even where you are in in life? And that this goes for everyone. And it's rhetorical, Jen. I won't put you on the spot. If there's three things that, you know, are uncomfortable actions, the way you describe to just force yourself to do it as confidence builders well, almost the same thing as standing up and being the first to give an ovation, yeah, right? right? It's, it's, it's a great thing to to do, just to experience it. So uh, I'm right there with you. I encourage people to uh, to do that. Some people just kind of just get so much in their own zone. It's like they know that, but, eh, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to that, uh, the unfortunately, deathbed metric, I think, is,
1: yeah, is all tying together. The things that scare us, the other thing is sometimes we think they have to be related but they don't. It's not to say, okay, if I'm scared of public speaking, let me push myself to do public speaking. Eventually, yes, you want to get there, but it might be, okay, I'm scared of public speaking, but I'm also scared of this other thing. Like I used to be, have a little bit of fear of flying, and, but I also had all these other things I wasn't sure I could do. And so one of the things I chose to do was go up in one of those glider planes that doesn't have an engine, you know? And you're just like, well, it's not like I'm going to learn to fly planes or conquering this specific fear is important for my life. It was conquering any fear because then the other things are easier to conquer, even if they're, you know, not directly related.
0: Hey, you got me thinking. I'm going to have to make a list. When I, I have a few lists now to make. Uh, to <laughs> One list I got to narrow down of what's not going to serve my purpose yeah, and the other right. is what, what's going to scare me. I got to go overcome. All right. That brings us to your third insight to live by. Now, is this the is this a big kahuna? Is it a level playing field? or? Um... I think they're a level playing field. Okay. And I
1: will say I didn't come up with like a quippy statement for this one. It ties a little bit to what you've talked about already, but I'd call it no regrets and nothing but gratitude. So there's two things I think about in my life. One is, um, yeah, my favorite college professor did a lot of research about regret and he found that, In the short term, we tend to regret what are called errors of commission, like things that we do that we wish we hadn't done. You know, like, oh my God, I I applied for that job and I didn't get it but in the long term in our lives we really regret more errors of omission things we wish we had tried and didn't do like if i had only applied for that job and maybe i had gotten it and my whole career would change and so forth and so i do make a lot of decisions based on exactly what we've talked about is you know will i regret it if i didn't at least try the other part of that though is how much of my life is, I kind of view it differently because of a few moments that have given me deep perspective. Mm. So, you know, I've had both of my kids, for instance, have had very serious accidents that left them in the ICU, which is extremely traumatic. Scary
0: as it gets. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And myself, I also, when I was right out of business school in my late twenties, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor Mm. that they called me about at work you know, like one day I was at work and I was worried about some, you know, email someone had sent me that upset me or whatever. And the next moment I was getting a phone call from a doctor who said, you need to see a neurosurgeon right away. Hmm. And that moment of perspective just shook me so hard to say, God, all these other things I thought were important and thought mattered a lot, just don't matter. That was the first thing. The second one is Boy, should I make sure I try everything I want to now, because you never know how, you know, how things could change in any given moment. And the third is how much gratitude I still had. So even though I had a brain tumor, I had to have surgery, it was bad, my tumor ended up to be benign. And I just couldn't keep thinking how lucky I was because it could have been worse, you know? So for me, if this was what I had to bear, it wasn't that bad. And so I try to just keep, you know, I try to keep those moments, my own health scares, my kids' accidents as perspectives and live with no regrets and nothing but gratitude.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. You know, it's it's easy for us all to get tied in uh, anything outside of the present, be that our personal baggage or, you know, our worries, you know, uh, uncertainties take us away. But in your insights to live by you've, you've touched upon, I think some of the most critical elements, um, around gratitude and grounding yourself in the present. Um, I always love coming back to that as, as much as anybody might say, Oh, you know, we all everybody talk about that. Yeah. You could talk about it all you want. You still have to do it. Uh, it, it's an act uh, that you have to keep practicing and working at. And I, I'm saying it maybe just to remind myself again here as well. well. It's true. Um, it's
1: very easy to forget. And that's why actually, as awful as they were, those moments are really helpful because it's quite easy to bring back that feeling of that moment of getting the phone call you don't want or things like that. And as horrible as they are, I think we should use those moments in our life.
0: I love it. Now, we're going to tie up here, but just a, a few thoughts to go together. I think actually come back to purposeful and the part that we talked about there being any number of things that are in our discomfort zone, that if we actually do take that step forward, that could be the decision that changes or right? alters our life path. And, and you think of those those moments uh, upon reflection. Well, what got you to here now? What can you do now to get you in a different direction? So I want to encourage everybody to uh, really consider that of course, but even more so act on it, act on it. Okay. Jennifer, anything else you'd like to share? I know people can, we'll have this in the show notes. People can find risingteam.com. Um, Anything that we didn't cover? You got another book coming? Any special surprises?
1: No, well, is great. You can also find the book at PurposefulBook.com. Um, one thing I'll say in closing maybe is one of the, the thoughts that I ended the book with, which is it surprised me a lot. I interviewed all these people and they all said, I, I asked them, who you know who supported or inspired you along the way to doing whatever it is you have achieved or accomplished? And they could all name a person or a couple of people. And then I asked them, have you told them? And almost none of them said yes. Really? They hadn't told the people that had inspired and supported them. And so my takeaways there were, A, you never know whom you might inspire, right? Like there may be all these people out there, especially with with a podcast like yours, you probably have tons of listeners who feel inspired, Um, but B, if there's someone like that in your life, tell them, it'll mean a lot to them.
0: It does. And, and it's a reminder to me. I, I, it's another one, another one of those things like the gratitude, like I'll get in a groove and I'll do that. I'll send people video messages or whatever and just tell them what you know how I feel about them or anything. Just, you know, it's, it's just great to brighten someone's day. It brightens your day uh, in and around that gratitude. Uh, but who's out there? Yeah. And you're right. Jen, I love, uh, if you hear me now, yeah, I love hearing from people. I'm sure this episode is going to resonate with a lot of others. Uh, Jen Dulski, thank you very much for being my guest and sharing your insights to live by. It's a pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much, Matt. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of insights to live by. Please feel welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and make the most of our free resources to improve your life for good at mattzinman.com wishing you and yours an enriching day and we'll see you next time